It's time to tune in to Defending the Faith with Frank Harbor. Hear the latest about religious liberty. A win for religious freedom in one of the remaining blockbuster cases facing the U.S. Supreme Court this term. A legal battle continues for the Little Sisters of the Port for nearly a decade now. A street preacher armed with a speaker, a microphone, and a camera strapped to his chest is now banned from the village. Our founding fathers believed in the separation of church and state, but not for one fleeting moment. Did they believe in the separation of God and government? And powerful apologetics. Are you prepared to defend the faith? I'm convinced unless we trust in God, this nation is finished. We're facing a new kind of enemy. We're involved in a new kind of warfare. And we need the help of the Spirit of God. Three, two, one. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I am Frank Harbor. I am your host. I am the president and chief legal counsel of Defending the Faith Alliance. We defend the faith. We defend the faith in the legal arena and in the theological arena. And today, we've got a little bit of both. This is really, really interesting because we've got Dr. Mark Fulmer here, and he is, uh, he is over the Christian Patriot Forum. And this is going to be an exciting show today because it's going to answer a lot of questions about can you be a Christian and be a patriot? Can you be a Christian and can you love your country? Mm -hmm. And also some of the things that we'll talk about today, can Christians be involved in politics and what about elections? And this is going to be a very, very interesting show. Welcome to Defending the Faith, Mark Fulmer. Being with you today, Frank, and awesome. And just kind of talking about this this realm, and I have to say, it's probably that realm that's most uncomfortable for a lot of Christians when you talk about engaging the political. Yeah, because you know you 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 get this pushback most often uh, from people of faith that say, "Yeah, we Christians shouldn't be involved the, in the political landscape," or the you know the it, it's and you get these uh, matter of fact these particular arguments against that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today, but I'd like to talk about this issue of cultural engagement, especially in the light of the Great Commission. You know, Jesus told us, Mark 16, to go into all the world. And usually we, we, we think of that most often as going into the foreign mission field, and which is great. Yeah, we're, we're to be do evangelism in the nations and to make disciples. I would like to take that Great Commission one step further and talk about this issue I refer to as cultural engagement uh, that is also in the backdrop of the Great Commission. Uh, we as believers actually are compelled by Jesus' command to be salt and light in the world, the cosmos, and we get to engage through our faith, uh, through our biblical worldview, we get to engage the culture. And Bill Bright often talked about this being seven uh, spheres of influence uh, that he referred to, uh, that we as Christians need to get involved with the arena to engage the culture. He talked about some of those uh, being arts, entertainment, uh, media, 
um, talked about education, uh, and then he also includes government as a sphere of influence. So th those are areas that we as Christians need to directly engage in, because what happens, Bill Bright said, if we don't engage those spheres of cultural influence, often it creates this moral void, this vacuum. And whenever there is a moral void or, or vacuum in any of these realms of influence, um, the, the, the other side, basically, uh, from secular humanism to everything else, seeks to influence those areas. So it's so vital that we, we look at this from the standpoint, uh, I like to think of it in terms of what Francis Schaeffer said in the Christian Manifesto. He mentioned about, we start with revival, there's personal revival, and then there's corporate revival in our churches. And from revival, we go into transformation. And from transformation, Francis Schaeffer said, we move into reformation. There's always, matter of fact, the byproduct of what the church does, influencing society as being salt and light. Um, it brings reformation. And this nation, as we know, the history, uh, the founding fathers, was in very backdrop. It was birthed out of the Great Awakening. And many of those early founders, they were impacted by revival. Uh, their, uh, the Whitfield and, and so many of those great sermons that were given, well, they took actually from the influence of that, they were transformed. They were impacted by those revival messages. And from there, the worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview that actually became the framework for the early founders was utilized. And we see that throughout our nation's history. So, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize, I think we've lost a lot of the history of our country and and how the the framers and the founders, what they were thinking and, you know, it's interesting going back and look at some of the legislative notes of how the government was put together. But, the, you know, our government was put together on the backbone of the Bible. And, you know, the three branches of government come from the Bible, several other things uh, like that. But some Christians would say, you know, I just think we just need to be Christians and we just need to pray and witness and we don't need to be involved in politics. What would you say to that? Exactly. And one of the things I'd make reference when you talked about, we really need to be knowledgeable about our history. Uh, I remember a podcast you had some time ago, Dr. Darren Biles talking about the founders. And that was an incredible podcast. But just like you said, it's so much Judeo-Christian worldview influenced those founders, but also led to the birth of this great constitutional republic. So looking at some of the arguments that we typically encounter uh, with Christians, when you talk about, yeah, we need to be in, engaged with civic process uh, politically, uh, usually the, the, the first one that we hear about that's most popular, they quote the verse out of Philippians 3.20, where Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. And, you know, we kind of quote, okay, yeah, citizens of heaven, and like you said, we're about doing the spiritual stuff. We're preaching the gospel, and we're out making disciples and uh, being citizens of heaven. But however, that verse uh, is taking 
out of context there because the fact the verses right before that in 318 and 319 Paul begins addressing uh, those who are carnally minded that have their mind on this world the things of this world and so the following verse he says look he says we don't think that way you know we're we're actually because we're citizens of heaven so the construct of that was to talk about the carnality of christians but a lot of times as christians we we pull things out of the context uh, another one that's very uh, is used most often were words of jesus and he's uh where he says that my kingdom is not of this world, making an appeal to standing there when they're questioning him before his, his crucifixion. And the word basileia, their kingdom, the rule and reign of God. And yes, definitely, Jesus was contrasting the, the kingdom, heavenly divine kingdom against that of the world. But it was it's not to serve as a device for a uh, process of eliminating the option for Christians to be in, engaged. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. In other words, that rule and reign of God within me, the kingdom of God, when I go out to be salt and light, to engage whatever it is in my school, uh, my business, and local government, whatever it is, I'm living the kingdom out. So it's not a non-qualifier in that sense. As a matter of fact, we begin looking at all of this that the Christian really needs to be about involved with, there's a dual citizenship process I'd like to refer to. Paul said, yeah, in Philippians 3.20, um, that we're citizens of heaven. That Greek word, polytumo, is used for citizens or citizenship, where we get our word political mm -hmm. from or politics uh, from. And, uh, you know, here's the thing about it. We know that you can have dual citizenship. There's no conflict of interest exercising dual citizenship. I'm a citizen, yes, of, of heaven. I'm born again. I follow the lordship of Christ. But at the same time, I'm also called to be a citizen I'm a citizen of my nation of natural birth. Now, Paul used the dual citizenship card most often because when you read the book of Acts, there are at least three times that Paul utilizes his Roman citizenship when he's being persecuted unjustly. He's being arrested and persecuted by the Roman government. He makes an appeal three different occasions. He says, look, I'm also a citizen of Rome. And uh, so Paul, being an apostle, was not hesitant to use that dual citizenship card as well. So we as Christians, we've been looking at, yeah, we're citizens of heaven and the kingdom of God. But you know what? We also, as citizens here, we live in this realm and the natural realm and uh, where the, the nations that we occupy. And we get to have the opportunity to be salt and light and be an influence, that cultural engagement aspect, exercising that dual citizenship. That's excellent. I tell you, we're, we, we, we have a kingdom and we have a king. Our king is Jesus. And you talked about that we need to be salt and light. And I think that wherever people find ambassadors for the kingdom, they're going to expect to see uh, us representing the king. And I think, you know, we live in the world. And so we've got to be ambassadors of that. Now, 
some people they're like, no, you know, our kingdom's not of this world. So we just, you know, we'll just be like monks or nuns in a monastery. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that way. And I, I agree with your interpretation of scripture. Um, you know, some people are, you know, like if you're a Christian, you shouldn't display uh, love for your country. I remember when I was a kid that in school, we actually back then said the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes. Uh -huh. And, you know, and I remember, you know, what a, what a great thing it was. And then, of course, you know, before games and stuff, there would be the, the, the national anthem. And I've always stood with great pride. However, in recent times, I've been alarmed at a growing number of people in our country who I feel like the opposite of love our country, they hate our country. Mm -hmm. And so it's a confusing message for me because as Christians, I think we need to find a way to love everybody, but especially our country. Mm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of good reasons we can love our country, particularly on how it was founded. If you start to study this, you're going mm -hmm. to find out there yeah. were some really godly men mm -hmm. that were our framers and yes. they built a lot of things on spiritual principles. Um, and so, you know, America was deeply, deeply influenced by the Bible, maybe more so than just about any other country that's ever been conceived of. So, Mark, you, you know, you're over the Christian Patriot Forum, so you're the perfect person to ask about this. Can you be a Christian and love your country? That's an incredible question. Because a lot of people see it, a lot of believers see that it's a conflict of interest. How can I be in love to love my Lord Jesus Christ? How can I love God and yet also love country? Uh, one scripture I like to refer to most often is out of Luke chapter 7. And it's that passage where um, we have the centurion. Jesus is at Capernaum. And there's a centurion, uh, centurion that makes an appeal to Jesus there on behalf of his, his uh, servant. The servant is ill. And he approaches Jesus. And right before that, there's a preface given about the centurion. Now, what we know about that time in first century and also in the early church, uh, you had uh, individuals with the military. And then here, here's a Gentile. Uh, he's a Roman and uh, he's serving in the military. But you also had individuals such like Matthew that's a tax collector. Uh, but also a disciple of Jesus. And uh, so it wasn't something out of place or it was uncommon to have individuals in all different facets of life uh, being involved with that, uh, actually the call to the gospel. So here's the centurion. He's, he's there making an appeal to Jesus. And one of the things that is said about him is this. First of all, it says, this man loves his nation. He loves our nation, and the, the word for nation, ethnos. Uh, and then secondly, what's said about him is that he contributed to the building of our synagogue. In other words, he loved God. He believed in the one true God of Israel, and because of that, out of his faith, he was moved to action. He was practicing his faith uh, there 
uh, actually when and he contributed to the, the building of that synagogue in Capernaum, what we know. And uh, so here an individual, the, the word patria, patria, uh, refers to an individual who within their nation, their, their, their native uh, home roots, the nation in which they were born. And there is a natural, there's no conflict uh, between loving God and also loving our nation. And what you mentioned, I appreciate what you said, because we live in a day and time where uh, the enigma happens to be, the trend is, we see this hatred toward our nation uh, from, you know, back when decades ago when they were burning the flag. Uh, and then most recently, the last couple of years with the pandemic, tearing down monuments. And we see this uh, this trend where it's popular to disavow uh, the United States of America. And that is most unfortunate because you talked about the founders. The founders were individuals. They were profoundly influenced by their faith. A lot of them from a reform background, and they understood the value of religious liberty, religious freedom. And that was something they cherished very dearly. And with their vision to, find, to basically establish this nation, uh, they, had, they had the dream to, to have a nation, a, a constitutional republic, where there'd be freedom of religion. And these were individuals, you couldn't say, well, because they were believers, and many were different denominational backgrounds, some were Quakers, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, Lutherans, and regard their backgrounds, uh, they, they also had a love for their nation. And they were willing, when they signed their names on that Declaration of Independence at Philadelphia Hall, Independence Hall, that day, they knew that they were risking their lives, and they were at that moment pledging their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor. When they signed that document, they knew it was a death sentence, but they love God, and they also love their nation, and they were willing to die for it. Wow. You know, and I think it's a uh... You know, I think it's a great trait for a Christian, whatever country you live in, and we have mm, people from yes. different countries that watch this show, uh, to love your country. And I think about uh, the book of Daniel. Yes. And Daniel was a Jew. And Becky and I just got back from Israel, and there's a lot of love for mm -hmm. their country over yeah. there. But then there's a lot of hate for that country over there. Oh, and, right. you know, and inside there, they've they've learned how to not let the hate outside keep them from loving their country on the inside. But Daniel was a Jew, and of course he got, you know, he was part of the Babylonian captivity, and so he's in Babylon. And he, you know, makes it to the second highest position, and he's basically the, you know, the, the, the prime minister. And so, you know, he is involved in laws and making laws and other things. But the interesting story, I think, is in Daniel 6, when Daniel um, is faced with a, a new law that's targeted against religious people right. that says you can't pray. And if you pray, the penalty is the death penalty. Yeah. You know, what an incredible penalty for, for, mm. for praying. Mm. And, you know, what I've always taken away from that scripture is that Daniel, if he would have known something about it, probably would have done something about it. 
we learned that he didn't find out until after it passed. And right. then he went ahead and prayed. But the interesting thing was the king who signed the bill was surprised by it because he didn't pay attention to it either. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there's a lesson there for us because uh, then he wanted to repeal it and he couldn't because it was part of the laws of the Medes and the yeah. Persians. And so there's a great principle here that we shouldn't let bad laws pass. Yeah. Which means that as people of faith, of, of people who serve the one true God, that we have to be attentive, attentive to this stuff. Because when bad laws pass, mm -hmm. it hurts innocent people. Look at the right. story of Daniel in the lion's den. The people who did this, along with their wives and their children, ended up getting cast into the lion's den. And so I think part of being a Christian is, is to be aware of this stuff mm -hmm. and to influence our society for good, to have good laws, to have just laws. Because if we stay silent... Right. then we're going to end up with things like that going on in Babylon. Now, some people would, would counter that and go, no, you know, uh, I can be salt and light without being a part of any of that. And, and so some people will tell you for that reason, I don't even, I don't even vote in elections. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't even take part. And, you know, what would you say to that? Yeah. About elections and, and, and you know, this happens to be one of my one of my favorite uh, uh, you know, launching posts for uh, when I address Christian Patriots Forum. Uh, and it, here it is in a free constitutional republic. It's an incredible blessing that we have to vote. But most often, Frank, uh, even in the midterm elections, we have midterm elections coming up here in November, and uh, you know, less than two percent. Evangelical Christians actually turn out the vote. Wow. And that's very unfortunate because we look back when the founding fathers came with the idea of the of voting and the electoral vote. See, they came from nations that had monarchies, that had kings. So the concept that they came up with to actually have a free election for the people and um, was something that they held very dearly. I mean, they were Matter of fact, influence of a passage out of Exodus chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. It's the passage where Moses' uh, father-in-law comes to him and he sees him with a heavy burden being a judge to the people. And he advises Moses, says, you know what? You need to lighten the load by selecting men to help you to also be judges. Hmm. Uh and with that, the charge came, appoint men of good, solid reputation, good character, uh, who will not be willing to take a bribe, who love God, and who are obedient to the word. Wow, that right there is the per If you're looking for criteria for political candidates, Exodus 18 <laughs> has, has wow. the very best criteria. So from there, he said, and then from these men that you select, men of character, men of integrity, they will be uh, over thousands, hundreds, tens, and down on the line that he goes. So with this, when we go to that, basically that voting precinct and we cast that ballot for whatever um, you know, candidate is there, we should be guided by our, our 
what is, first of all, the platform that we're considering here? Is, is the platform one that regards the sacredness of life? Or is it about murdering babies, innocent babies, while they're in the womb? Is the platform there, this particular candidate, is it about uh, the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman, the biblical, uh, the, the biblical principle for marriage? Uh, or is it a, or does he support he or she support things like uh, gender uh, transitioning uh, and gender inclusiveness that we're hearing all this stuff about? So it really comes down to this. When we before we get the vote, it's not political. I'm convinced we're engaged in something that's entirely moral and spiritual, Frank. And that's really what should compel us in making decisions to go to vote, because all those issues that I mentioned, they're more than just a, being a political issue. Those are so those are moral issues. Those are ethical issues. And I have the opportunity with my vote to be a voice, to be an influence, a positive influence uh, for those that are making the stand for righteousness. And that's what, it, if you look at the whole, uh, our calling as Christians, again, getting back to being the salt and light, going to those ballots, casting that vote is perhaps one of the most important things that we can do. And here's the other side of it, too. Whenever we are silent, whenever Christians are silent, so I mentioned it creates that void, that moral, spiritual vacuum. And it's going to be filled with something else other than righteousness. Mm -hmm. And the Word of God tells us that righteousness exalts a nation. Yes. But sin is a reproach to any people. So if by my conscience as a Christian believer, I, I want to have my vote counted. I want my voice to be heard. And you see, one of the problems was I got to hear Eric McTaxis speak a couple of weeks ago. It was his new book called Letters to the American Church. And one of the things he was talking about, the church in Nazi Germany, in the Third Reich. And uh, McTaxis has done incredible work, very exhaustive work on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But he was talking about that the churches were very reluctant at the rise of the Third Reich to speak out against what was going on in the government because they didn't want, you know, they wanted to keep everything uh, there uh, peaceful with, with the, the governing authorities. And so you have this Third Reich that's now in power and only a few pastors speak or speaking out against that. One of them, of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who basically uh, he was executed in a concentration camp. Yeah. So we began looking at here in our nation, this wonderful constitutional republic in which we live, we have the amazing, we're blessed with the amazing opportunity to make our voice heard, to go and cast our vote. And, and actually, when we do that, we make a stand for what is righteous and what is good. You know, and it's about, uh, it's about our children, too. You know, we think about the founders, and so we inherited this country from them. And so I often wonder, will we leave this country better than we found it? You know, so 
here today, you know, producing the podcast. Y'all can't see them, but uh, Mark and I can see Hunter and Graham. And this is the country mm -hmm. that we're, we're passing on to yeah. them. And so, you know, I'm always mindful. I'm like, you know, I, I hope my children can grow up in the same America that I grew up in yes. with the incredible opportunities and freedoms. I hope their children can too. But in, increasingly, I've become more and more concerned. Um, mm. You know, a lot of the things that they're teaching kids in school go contrary to these things. And I think they're actually creating uh, people who don't love our country. And if, in fact, we have friends and, you know, they're, their child, he went to high school and he went to college and he came back home and told his parents that he was a socialist mm. and wanted to overthrow the system of government yeah. that we have here in the mm. country. And they were just alarmed. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they said, we don't have that much money, but we want to give you the money that we have so you can move to a socialist mm. country so you can be happy. And mm. he rejected. He said, no, I, he said, I want to do that here. And they said, no, 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 no. Um, this is our country. You know, we don't want it changed. So mm. we're offering you the money. We're going to send you to wherever you want to go. Right. And to this day, yeah. he has not taken them up on that. Mm. And, you know, oh, we, we, we lit this, this great country that we have, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people around the world who, you know, they're prom promoting socialism and communism. Of course, yeah. it never works, yeah. never works. And then, of course, you say, why does it work? Because there's still a nation that's not. And until mm -hmm. America mm -hmm. is that, then none of it right. works. And so we've heard that for, for so long. Yeah. But if, you know, and, and the number of Christians in mm -hmm. our country, Mark, is declining. We're, mm -hmm. we're, we're declining to, to the right. place where now, um, you know, used to, we didn't have to show up at school board meetings yeah. and worry about mm -hmm. what gets right. taught. Because there was enough of us. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have to show up at elections because yeah. there was enough of us, but the day is, is quickly on us mm -hmm. Yes, where yes. I believe that Christians are going to have to show up or we're going to lose everything. Exactly. I mean, I think we're in, 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 in big, big trouble. Well, you've been listening to Mark Fulmer and he is over the Christian Patriot forum. And before we close, Mark, I want you to tell our listeners how to find you, and you've got a new book out, and where can we get that? And uh, all the information about how to keep up with you. Absolutely. Christian uh, Patriot Forum dot com. Uh, and what we try to do, be is a platform and network, actually, for Christian engagement. And uh, so we network with a lot of other organizations, conservative organizations, um, uh, are Christian, evangelical, that are in the forefront of uh, getting Christians, churches, pastors uh, engaged uh, with their culture. And uh, so we like to go to that site, ChristianPatriotsForum.com, and uh, there are resources there you can, also, you can take advantage of. Also, you mentioned about uh, my book. I've written a book on addressing, uh, it deals with the, the COVID pandemic, and um, it's called The Wuhan Incident, Bioweapons and the Emerging Global Reset. That sounds like a, a, a pretty extreme uh, nuance there. We were talking about Christian engagement, uh, but 
I wrote the book on the basis of my background involved with uh, bioterrorism preparedness. It was my career before I retired and moved into what I'm doing with Christian Patriots Forum. And you can find that book on Amazon or also Barnes and Noble. All right. And uh, I know you've got sermons and different things that you can listen to. Thank you so much for being on our show. God bless everybody. And we hope that you'll visit our website, defendingthefaith.law, and you can sign up and get these episodes in your inbox and they'll come right to you. We put out one episode a week. We also, you also can keep up with our cases. We're involved in religious liberty cases across the country. Uh, We actually had a, a successful case that we just won. So, uh, we've always got, and we've got some new ones that are just insane. I mean, you just won't even believe some of the stuff that is being litigated in our country and it's concerns Christian values. So we hope that you'll find out what we're doing. If you sign up, uh, you'll get uh, a copy of our new ebook, Objection Overruled, answering the top 10 objections to Christianity. Uh, please share this episode with someone. You probably know somebody that needs to hear this episode. We really appreciate you. And we will see each and every one of you in the next episode of Defending the Faith.